Okay, we finished up Ezekiel. Last time we were together, a week ago, there was a carnival going on here. <laughs> it was a pretty happy event. So, uh, we've got three weeks left until uh, Thanksgiving week. And so, what I've done is I'm choked chosen out some characters out of the Bible, some that uh, aren't real famous, not like Ezekiel, who saw so many spectacular things, and, and uh, he just had those amazing experiences. He saw God, after all. That's the greatest experience you can have. He saw God, and he talked to the dry bones and saw them come together. And he measured the temple and he swam in the waters that came out from under the temple. And he had quite an experience, week after week, most unusual things. Now we're going to go to people, you say, well, they're not as exciting. Well, neither are we, right? Isn't that true? We're not exciting. We don't live like Ezekiel. Uh, we're just everyday people. And the Bible has in it lots of stories about everyday normal people. And that's good. That's good. Because that's what most of us are. We're just everyday normal people. So we're going to look at a character tonight. Uh, if you turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter number 14. We're going to start there. And work our way around. And talk about a man named Caleb. Caleb. The chapter, Joshua chapter number 14 is where we're going to start. We're going to have to work our way around a little bit and so we can get the grasp of what's happening here. But, uh, <clears throat> when we start we're in the book of Joshua, and if you know your history, you know that uh, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the slavery of Egypt, and out into the wilderness, across the wilderness, up to the promised land. They refused to go in, and so they went back and wandered 40 years until everybody died who was 20 years old and up. Everybody died, and then... They went back under Joshua, and Joshua took over the promised land, led the children of Israel in the, as an army, and possessed the land, driving out the inhabitants, taking over cities and countries all around the area, and starting with the great fall of Jericho as he crosses the river into uh, the promised land. The first thing they come up is a great big walled city. And you remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And so uh, we're in that time frame and uh, we have gone through uh, the battles and they've taken a lot of the land possessed a lot of the land, and now they are casting lots for who gets what. There's 12 tribes, and they 
cast lots. Let's see who gets from this river to that river. Who gets from this mountain over to the sea. And so they're dividing the land up and they're casting lots for it. And that way, because it was a little difficult because what happened, of course, they're all together for 40 years in the wilderness. Now they come into the Canaan and they all stay together and move around the land possessing by taking over cities and countries and so forth. And they move all around the land. They're still together. And so it's time for everybody to go home. Well, where's home? <laughs> Where do we go? Well, let's draw lots and we'll give you this property and this family gets that property. And the different tribes divide up the land by casting lots. And then all of a sudden somebody says... I don't want to cast lots. I got another idea. Here we go. It's in chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. And the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite. Now we stopped there just for a second. He's called a Kenizzite. And some people think he's not Jewish. Which could be true. He might not be Jewish, but he's attached himself to the Jewish nation. He believes everything that the Jews do. And so the people of Judah take him to Joshua. And so if he's not Jewish, I think that's fascinating because he's got quite a history uh, he could be Jewish. We don't know exactly why he's called a Kenizzite. I mean, that's not Jewish. Uh, but sometimes they name themselves after, you know, a piece of property where they lived or whatever. So we're not quite sure who he is. But if he's not Jewish, he sure acts it, doesn't he? Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Let's look and see. Children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. <clears throat> and so, as he's approaching Joshua now, he says, Now, something got said uh, a long time ago, and I want to talk about that. I was 40 years old. When I was 40 years old is when this was set. So let's take a look over what happened in Kadesh Barnea, which he mentions. Numbers now chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Okay, in Numbers chapter 13, Moses is going to 
sends spies out into Canaan. They just arrived at the borders. And he's going to send spies out to check out the property, see what it looks like. And so there's a list of the people that were sent. And in verse 6, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephthah. So there's Caleb. He's one of the spies. And then when you look at verse 16, uh, these are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua, or that's Joshua. All right. Oshia was his name. Moses called him Joshua. Kind of the same name, just a little different version. It's like Willie and Bill and William or whatever. Same kind of thing. So those two guys are included in the list of 12 spies. Verse 17, Moses sent them to spy at the land of Canaan and said to them, Get you up this way southward, go to the mountain. See the land and what are the people that dwell there and whether they be strong or weak or few or many. And so they're told they're going to go spy out the land, see what's out there, and see what you can see. And so uh, they come back with a report, verse 26. They went and came to Moses, to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, all right? They brought back word to them and said to the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. Now they were carrying, it says, a, 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 a bunch of grapes. Call them a bunch. Uh, only it was so big... They had to have two men with a stick on their shoulders to carry it. Now that's a big bunch of grapes. You never saw them at tops, did you? All right? That's a big bunch of grapes. And can you imagine it growing? Why, it must have been a fabulous country. And uh, so they're carrying these grapes, and they bring them in, and they show him, look what we found. And they told him, he said, we came to the land where thou sendest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So the cows there are eating so well that their milk drips out of their udders. That happens when you get a good cow. Milk drips right out of the udders. And so much honey, it's dripping down out of the rocks and falling over the rocks. It's everywhere. And it's literally, it is flowing with milk and honey. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in land. The cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, Anak was a giant. Anak was a tribe of giants. And we know about the most famous one, Goliath. All right, and he was almost 10 feet tall. He's over 8 feet tall. He's huge. He's absolutely a monstrous, huge man. And that's where they saw. We saw the children of Anak. We saw giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains. Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. 
And he said, boy, I'll tell you what, there was a lot of people. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched to the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have gone to search in is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were on our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So their report is, we're this big next to these guys. You stand next to a guy, he's nine feet tall, you're bound to feel small, all right? I mean, (laughs) and there was walled cities. So what they said was true. There were giants. There were walled cities. And then they said, we can't take them. It's too much for us. We can't take it. Now, who are they? Slaves who have wandered 40 years. Well, not yet. Slaves who came out of Egypt. They've come up to the land of Canaan to possess it. And they say, we can't do it. We're just a bunch of slaves. Unarmed for the most part. How are we going to take a walled city... And what are we going to do against these guys that are nine feet tall? This property swallows up the people who live there. <laughs> well, that was stretching it a little, all right? But they say, we can't go. We just can't go up. And Caleb is telling his story over in Joshua. Now, let's go back over there to Joshua. 14, where we left off. Verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people to melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So he said, they brought back a bad report, said we can't possibly do it. And uh, he said, but I disagreed. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereof thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. All right, so this is what Moses said to Caleb. Caleb said, We can do it. Come on, let's go. Moses said, You know, God's going to make you a promise. That where your feet have trod, that's going to be yours. Because you wholly followed the Lord. You wholly followed the Lord. Completely, wholly, no reservations. You followed the Lord. Now, watch this. Verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. So, 
He's 85. A score is 20. Four score is 80 plus five. He's 85 years old. 40, when he was 40, 45 years before that, he went in and spied out the land. All right. At that point, God refused to let them come in because they refused to go in. And so they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And five years now, they've come back and it's been war. It's been five years of war as they're going through the land. And so that makes Caleb, when he's talking, 85 years old. Right. He's a pretty old man. 85. We got people in our church older than that, but they're not quite like this fellow. Let's see why. Verse 11. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for, for war, both to go out and to come in. I can do whatever I want to do, just like when I was 40. And he says that when he's 85. <laughs> I can't say that, all right? I can't say that. And neither can you, probably. This is an extraordinary man. He says, I feel just as good, I'm just as strong and powerful at 85 as I was at 40. Right. Now that's a pretty good thing. Verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest it in the day how the Anakims, those are the giants, were there. And that the cities were great and fenced. So if the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So. He's asking for a piece of property. He doesn't want it to go in in the lot when they're drawing for everybody else to have property. He says, I have a prior claim on this property uh, and I was told by Moses who got it from God, all right, who got it from God that this property uh, was, I was supposed to have the property here. And let's take a look at one more thing here. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The fifth book of the Bible is Deuteronomy chapter 1, right in the beginning. Now watch this carefully. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34. The Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth. And God got angry and swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give to your fathers, save Caleb, the son of Jethan. He shall see it, and to him I will give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he wholly followed the Lord. And so it's God himself who says to Caleb, I'm going to give you this land. Now he said it to him 
45 years before. 45 years before. Now Caleb, 45 years later, comes up and says, I got a promise. You can't divide that land and give that away. I was promised by God himself, right out of the mouth of God, that I could have a piece of property. And the piece I want is a mountain. There's a mountain. And it's called Hebron. Hebron. I want that mountain. I went to that mountain. Now it's pretty interesting if we think about it. That's where they all went, the 12 spies. And that's where they saw all these giants. So they went to the mountain. The giants lived in the mountain in Hebron. Now, Hebron was actually a city. And a city called Hebron. So these spies didn't go in the city. All right. The spies, of course, are going to look over and they go up in a high place. Moses told them, go up in the mountains, look and see what's out there. So he goes up into a high place to see what's out there. And there was a city at the bottom called Hebron. Now, in Joshua uh, chapter 10, a couple pages over, Joshua chapter 10. Verse 36, Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron and they fought against it and they took it, smote it with the edge of the sword and the king thereof and all the cities thereof and all the souls that were in. He left none remaining according to he had done to Eglon, destroyed it utterly and all the souls that were in. So Joshua with his army has already taken the city of Hebron. He wiped out the inhabitants took over the city. But he Caleb doesn't want the city. He wants the mountain behind it. Right. Would you rather have a city or a mountain? <laughs> no question for me. Give me that mountain anytime. You always rather be on a mountain than in a city, right? I hate the city. Give me that mountain. Uncle Ed, when he retired had a place that was way up on top of a hill. And he made a big sign up there. This is Prindle's Mountain. His name was Prindle. So this is Prindle's Mountain. We called it that for 20 years. Prindle's Mountain. It's nice to have your own mountain. And Caleb said, I want the mountain. Now, the thing of it is, is that's where all the giants are. Giants aren't in the city of Hebron. It was down below. They live up on the mountain. And they had gone away. Now they had come back and they lived. They took over the mountain. Caleb says, I want the mountain. Joshua already took the city. But I want the mountain. I'm claiming it. Because. Remember what he said. What your feet touch. What your feet touch. No. 
When they came back with the, with the spies, they said, we can't take that property. It's because they went on that mountain. And that was the scariest place in the whole, in the whole land of Canaan. Because all these guys are eight and nine feet tall and live on this mountain. Huge monsters. And they've got cities up there on that mountain, their own places where they live. But Caleb went up there. Now, when they came back, they said, there's no way we can't take it. That's the most impossible property to possess. Caleb, at 85, says, I said we could do it 45 years ago, and I can do it now. At 85, I'm ready to do it, so let's have at it. I want that property. And he says, with the Lord's help, which is the whole point, isn't it? Why did he think they could do it way back 45 years ago? With the Lord's help. So I got God helping us. Are you kidding? We can do that with God's help. And why wouldn't he say that? Didn't he drink water from a rock? Didn't he eat manna from heaven every day? Huh? Didn't he cross the Red Sea on dry land? Didn't he see Egypt absolutely devastated until there was no green thing left in Egypt? The firstborn were all dead. The cattle all lay dead. The rivers are turned into blood. There's dead frogs all over Egypt. It's absolutely devastated by the power of the plagues that God sent. He brought those children, gave them a pillar a cloud by day that turned into fire at night, led them through the wilderness, fed them every day. And then they get to the promised land and say, we can't take it. They're bigger than us. <laughs> and Caleb said, come on. Didn't you eat manna every day just like me? Didn't you do that? Come on. We can do this. No, they're too big. They, what scared them the most was the giants. They saw the sons of Anak. That's what scared them, and that's why they refused to take it. Right? They just said, we can't do it. It's all there is to it, and we're not going to do it. Now, there's something else about this land. All right. Let's take a look at Genesis 23. Genesis 23. And verse number 2. Sarah died in Kerjeth Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham stood up before his dead and spake to the sons of Heth, saying, I was a stranger and a soldier. You gave me possession of a burying place with you that I might bury my dead out of my sight. And so he's at Hebron when Abraham's wife Sarah dies and he gets a piece of property he buys a piece of property in Hebron. 
and there's a cave, and he purchases a field and a cave, and he buries Sarah in Hebron, all right? So where Caleb went to look, what does he see? There's a grave there, Sarah's grave. Let's see who else is there. Chapter 25, a couple pages over Genesis chapter 25. Verse 8, Abraham gave up the ghost, died in a good old age, an old man full of years, was gathered to his people, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Mephtalah in the field of Ephron, with the son of Zor, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, in the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. So, Sarah is buried in Hebron. In the cave, also Abraham is buried there. Turn over a couple more pages to chapter 49. Chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 30. In the cave that is in the field of Methpelah, that is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, where Abraham brought of the field of Abraham the Hittite for possession of a burying place, there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. And so Isaac and Rebekah are buried there, and then uh, who else goes there? Uh, Jacob gets buried there, and his wife, Rachel, and Leah are buried there. The whole family's buried there. What are they famous for? What are they famous for? Abraham, the Bible says, is the father of people who have faith. Right? And so he says Abraham is the father of the faithful. Because Abraham was all full of faith. God said, leave your hometown. Where do you want me to go? I'm not telling you. Okay. And he got up and left. Just like that. Because he did exactly what God said. He had faith in God. God said, take your son Isaac, sacrifice him, and kill him. He took his son Isaac, tied him up, laid him on the stones, and pulled the knife back. He almost did it, except for God stopped him. Why? Because he said he had so much faith in God that he said, if I kill him, and this is the promised son, he's going to have to resurrect him from the dead. I believe if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead. That's faith, isn't it? That's a lot of faith. And Isaac is a father, his son, and Jacob, all right, is the one who wrestled with God, had a wrestling match with God. What did he say? God said, leave me alone, will you? And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So 
these men are preeminent, not because they're the father of a nation, although they are. They're preeminent for their faith. And now, Caleb wants that property where they're buried. It's a little inspiration. He says, I wholly believe in God. I completely trust in God. I have absolute confidence in God. So I'm going to take this property. You don't need to help me. (laughs) I'm taking it myself. I'm 85. I'm going to take um, the mountain. I'm going to own that mountain and those big old giants. I'm going to kick out of there. And God's going to help me do it. And so here's the most difficult place in the whole land of Canaan that discouraged ten spies until they came back and said, you can't do it because there's giants. So said, I'll take it now. I'm 85. I was promised by God wherever my feet went. And my feet were on that mountain. And that's a place for people who believe. I believe in God. I wholly follow the Lord. And that's what I want. And so uh, he gets it. He gets it. God gives him that place. He allows him to take it at 85. And he goes up. And now the city of Hebron, down below, uh, has a couple pretty good things happen to it. Uh, Joshua 20. Joshua 20. In this chapter 20, God tells Joshua, I want you to set up some cities to be sanctuary cities. Now when we hear that word, we go, ooh, that's not good. Whole other meaning. Much more logical meaning here in the Bible. It says, if you're working with somebody and you accidentally smack them with a hammer. Or, you know, if you're trying to move a rock and it crushes them. You kill somebody by accident. The family's coming after you. You have a sanctuary city where you can go and they can't touch you there if it was an accident. Family's going to take revenge. You go to a sanctuary city. That's not what they're doing now, okay? They call it sanctuary cities. Got nothing to do with this, all right? But this was in order to have justice. And so, uh, verse 5, If the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up to his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not beforehand. Or it was an accident. So what do they choose as one of these cities? It's in verse 7. They appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the Mount Naphtali, and Shechem, and Mount Ephraim, and Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. So the city of Hebron becomes a sanctuary city. All right, it's a place where you can go if you're in trouble. 
for an accident. And then chapter 21, verse 13, And they gave to the children of Aaron the priest Hebron with their suburbs to be a city of refuge. And so it also, Hebron becomes a place for priests. The priests can live in Hebron. Why was that special? Because the children of Levi weren't given any property. Nobody gave Levi property. Why? Because God said, you children of Levi are the priests. And I, I will give you no possession. I will be your possession. I'll give you no inheritance. I will be your inheritance. That's the best inheritance everybody ever had. That's why his name is Levi. I, said, I want God to be the possession, God to be the inheritance. All right? And so that's what happened in the city of Hebron. So there's good things happening around where Caleb has put his foot 45 years before. Consider waiting 45 years for God to fulfill his promise. You get excited if you got to wait a week. Right? Got to wait a week for God. Oh, come on, God. How long are we supposed to wait? He waited 45 years for the promise to be kept. And then he said, wherever your foot touched, well, my foot was on that mountain. I want it. And he said he wholly followed the Lord. Now, that's the story of Caleb. It's a story that he, what happened in his life. Now, the remarkable thing is that he's 85 and still going. There's another guy in the Bible, similar. You remember who it was? Moses. Moses, it said, was 120 years old. His eye was not dimmed. That's a fortunate thing. And his natural force was not abated. Or that is, he was just as good condition as he ever was at 120. Now, Caleb is in the same position. He's 85, not as old as Moses, but he's in perfect physical condition. He can do everything he did when he was 40 in his prime. He's still in his prime at 85. Now, that's a wonderful story how God kept his promise to Caleb for his being faithful. All right. And now, the real story, though, is really, it's about God. It's about God. The keeping power of God. He said, why am I this age? He says, because God kept me. God kept me. Or that is, God sustained me. God has made me the same as 85, as what I was at 40. And the reason he kept me, he had the power to keep me. He had the power to keep me. God 
keeping power. You'd like to know about that, wouldn't you? You betcha. <laughs> I'd like to know. I'd like to know all about the keeping power of God. Now, why did Caleb have God take care of him that way? Because he wholly followed the Lord. That's what he said. I wholly followed the Lord, and so God kept me, and I'm in perfect physical condition at 85. God kept me. Now look at 2 Timothy. The back of your Bible, the T's are together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. When he was 40 years old, he said, God will help us and we'll take these giants. Everybody else said, nah, not going to happen. We can't do it. Now he's 85 and he said, never mind, I'll do it by myself. I'm 85, I'll take it by myself. God has kept me up till now. And I'm 85. And because I wholly trusted him. I trusted him at 40. I still trust him at 85. And if he helps me, then we can take these giants. All right? So God, he said, is able to keep us. Now let's take a look at this. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. All right. There is a statement of the keeping power of God. That's a song. It's a song in your books. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul says this, I know God. I know him. And because I know what he's like, because I know how he treats me, because I know what he's capable of, I am fully persuaded. I am persuaded. All right? I believe with all my heart. I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded. I have wholly followed the Lord, fully persuaded that he is able... To keep what I commit to him. So if I give my life to God and say, here's my life, God. 
He's going to take care of me. He's going to keep me. He's going to keep his hand on me. He's going to watch over me. And that's a deal you make with God. I remember when I made a deal with God, I said, if I'll take care of your business, if you take care of mine. If you take care of my business, God, I'll take care of yours. And about that time, I ripped the furnace out of my house and brought it over here and put it in the, in the basement. But I never was without heat just because I didn't have a furnace. Somebody gave me a wood stove. I hooked it up. We had heat. We had to go cut the wood, right? That's Levi. He knows. We had to go cut a lot of wood, but we never were without heat, ever. We got so we like wood better than oil. <laughs> you say, okay, God, if everything I have is yours, if what I have I'm going to commit to you, we say, this is yours. And you've got to trust him to take care of you, to keep you, to watch over you. I remember when I signed the paper for the mortgage for this church. I could no more pay to one payment than I could pay the whole thing. <laughs> I couldn't pay one payment. I thought to myself, why are you signing this? You're responsible. You've got your name on here. You're responsible for this. And you're going to sign your name to it. Give me the pen. I'll sign my name. Because God says, I'll keep you if you give yourself to me. I'll keep you. I'll take care of you if you take care of my business. And I told the man when I signed a paper, I signed a 30-year mortgage. I said to him, I'm going to pay this off in five years. He said, ah, you got people with money over there? He must have asked me that 30 times. You must have people with money over there. So I don't worry about money, I told him. And I signed a paper. He said, you must have people with money because you're signing a paper. I didn't have anybody with money. We did pay it off in five years. We paid off $40,000 in five years from a group of people that couldn't hardly scratch enough to get it together. God says, if you really believe me, you really trust me, you believe I can keep you, will you put yourself in my hands and let me keep you? Will you do that? Do you trust me enough to say, all right, I'm going to give myself to you. Trust God to keep me. It's a wonderful example. The keeping power of God is Caleb. He was promised 45 years before he could have that property where his foot was, where his foot had touched. 45 years before he was promised. Everybody of that generation died. Except for Joshua and Caleb, the two spies, everybody died. All of his uh, acquaintances, all of his family, 
all of his generation. They buried them all in the wilderness, every one of them, except for him. Because God promised to keep him. I make a promise. You trust me, Caleb? I trust you. I believe we can go and take the land. Okay. And I will keep you until I finish the promise. Forty-five years later, at 85, he went up on that mountain, drove the giants out, and that became his mountain. Caleb owned the mountain of Hebron. Now, Paul says, I am persuaded. I am absolutely convinced that if I put it in God's hands, if I trust him, he will keep me. He will keep me. I give my life completely to him, and he will keep me and make sure that I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I commit to him against that day. What's that day? Well, it's the last great day of the Lord, right? When the end comes, right? So he says, you can trust God right till the very end if you put your faith in. Are you persuaded in your mind that if you put all your faith in him, he'll keep you? It's a big step. It's a big step. Do you trust him with your health? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with your family? Can you trust him with those things? Can you believe in him? Are you persuaded? See, there's a lot of things we don't know, and that's what this song is about. I know not what of good or ill may be prepared for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see, but I know whom I have believed. Right? I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, uh, creating, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith within. I don't know how that works, but I know whom I have believed. All right. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, if I'll walk the veil or I'll die with him, or if I meet him in the air. I don't know what my life's going to be, but I know whom I have believed. I had an experience once with God in a place called Sand Lake in South Dakota, walking along the lake, looking across the lake just before we were about to do something. And I remember walking along the lake. I said, I don't know what the future has for me, God. I don't know. I don't know whether it's good or ill, weary ways. They're golden days. I don't know what it is. But I trust you. I know you. I know I can trust you. And I'm persuaded that if I give my life to you, you can take care of me. You can take care of me all the way through. So, Caleb is a marvelous example of the keeping power of God. 
God has the ability, if you trust him with all your heart, if you're persuaded that you can believe in him, if you're persuaded of that, he will keep you and make sure that you come out well. So, it's trying it. You want to try it? Step out and believe. Believe in God. Trust him with all your heart. Step out. And see if he'll keep you. Caleb was no question. I know he's going to keep me. (laughs) I'm 85. I'll take them giants by myself. And he did. And you know, it's a funny thing. They tried to do some research on these giants. Not that they could obviously can't do that. But they tried to look at the same type of things that make people huge. You've seen people maybe that have what they call giantism. They said it's highly likely that they had certain flaws and it's a pretty good chance that these giants were very nearsighted. They couldn't see well. And some of them are almost blind. Wouldn't be hard to fight a blind man, would it? (laughs) <laughs> who knew <laughs> who knew God knew he said you trust me we can do this Caleb said I don't know why we could do it I know we could do it if God helps me come to find out it's a pretty good chance they were so nearsighted you could run around them five times and they wouldn't notice right. so that's just a little thing that shows that God can be trusted you and trust him to keep you. He's able to keep the things you commit to him and take care of you. And I have never found that to fail in all of my experience. Caleb, well, next week we'll look at a couple more fellas. Thank you.